Well, good morning, everybody. All right, good morning, 11 o'clock, 9.30 was great. Y'all don't mess it up. We're in a series, this is week three of the installment, a topical series, a hard topic series called Hard Questions. Y'all ready for this morning? The question is the following. What happens when we die? This is undoubtedly a hot topic. Everybody knows it's the stuff of books and music and movies and far side cartoons. In fact, I was tempted in the office last night just to preach the sermon using far side cartoons, but I'll stead and go with the best selling book of all time. I'll preach from that. But this is truly a hard topic and it, there's a host of different beliefs that people have. Uh, on my street, I have a friend. He's becoming a friend. I wish you could hang out with us. It's a lot of fun. He's an atheist. He's an ardent atheist and he uh, makes the claim that there is no God, that when we die, there's uh, no afterlife and of course, no heaven or hell. That's what an atheist believes. You just go into the ground and you spend the rest of, well, whatever. You're just pushing up daisies as the expression goes. Uh, and then of course, there's this idea of purgatory which also is called middle school uh, in America. But purgatory is this idea of temporary punishment. You just got to go through it. And the idea of purgatory is that you'll be in this temporary place and you'll pay for the past things that you've done wrong. And when you pay, you will have then earned your ticket, if you will, to the afterlife, a passport to eternal bliss. And then there's a very uh, popular a theory that many people around the world subscribe to, that of reincarnation. You get this idea. Again, this is the stuff of a lot of funny uh, television shows and stuff. But reincarnation, you know, is when, you know, if you do a lot of good stuff, well, then you're going to come back in the next life as a higher life form. If you do bad stuff, you'll come back in the next life as like a rat or a mosquito or roach or Kentucky wildcat. So that there's that idea. And there's also the idea uh, of an angel. In fact, the, you would come back as an angel. I was at a coffee shop. Y'all know, y'all know Fondren's funky, right? One of the reasons I love Fondren is because it's funky. And I was talking to somebody and their theory is that some of us come back as an angel. So we're given our wings and a harp and we float from a cloud to cloud, cumulus cloud to cumulus cloud, uh, play in the harp and it's just all good. And we're able to kind of dictate some of the affairs of this world, little angel kind of going back to people that you know and love. And this person was all bought in on that. Years and years and years ago, I remember it like it was yesterday. I have a fr- had a friend and we were at a West Coast coffee shop where we both lived. Uh, I was a few feet away from him and no one in the coffee shop apparently knew that we were together, but I was studying, had my laptop or something open and he had his Bible. He was uh, reading, studying his Bible and a young woman close to us, close to him, I was just a listening ear at this point and she asked him, why are you reading that? And his response was, he said to her, because I want to make sure I'm not going to hell. Uh, he has no problem asserting himself, uh, expressing himself very assertively. And he, and she said to him, uh, you know, that's not rational. It doesn't make sense. There's no God, no afterlife, no heaven or hell. And he said, well, where did you, where did you come to believe that? She said, well, I read a book years ago and it's influenced my thinking. It's sort of my default mode. Uh, none of it is true. And he said, well, tell me what was the name of the book? She said, I can't remember. He said, tell me the name of the author. I can't recall. Uh, so you're telling me that you read a book years ago. You don't remember the author or, or the name uh, of the book. Well, uh, w- what else did he write? I, I can't recall that. Well, tell me, do, is there any thought, have you given any thought to the fact that this author could have changed his mind and a few years later written another book about how there is a God and a heaven and hell and an afterlife? Have you thought about that? And she said, well, it's just not likely. He said, so let me get this straight. So you're banking, betting the farm, pushing all your chips in on the table that there is no God, there is no afterlife based really on a book that you read years ago that you can't recall and don't know the author. Is that, am I getting that straight? And she said, well, yeah, yeah, pretty much. He said, well, you know what I think? 
And this conversation was quite interesting. He said, you know what I think? He says, I think you're just, uh, you're just discomforted by the fact that there could be in a heaven or a hell and that you're uneasy, unnerved about the fact that there could be a holy God of love that you'll have to answer to one day and that you just want to be able to live your life with no afterlife and no judgment. You just kind of want to be able to live your own life. Can y'all believe I didn't even speak up in that conversation at all? I just listened to it. I was so, so cool. I was like, Lord, make me not quite like him. But anyway, this morning, I want to give you, because as a pastor, it is my job to tell you uh, what the Bible teaches. I want to give you some hard facts from Scripture about the truth of the afterlife. The first idea is this. Well, we don't need a Bible verse, but I'm going to give you a few. The first point, the first truth is physical life moves fast. I got to speak to a group of 10th grade parents. I don't have a 10th grader, but they invited me to come speak to them. And I shared uh, with them James chapter 4 and verse 14. James said, life is a vapor. It's a mist. I took a mist bottle. I don't have it today, but I just squirted it at them. Didn't get anybody wet, but I just squirted a mist bottle in the air and said, according to James, that's your life. Uh, he lost his job as a motivational speaker, apparently, but that's your life. It just, your life doesn't amount to much. Or he didn't say that. He just said it doesn't, it doesn't last long. It moves very, very fast. The prophet Isaiah, I sure quote from him a lot. I like that dude. Isaiah put it this way. The grass withers and the flower fades. The grass withers and the flower fades. Here's the thing, human beings. The grass doesn't know and the flower doesn't know that it withers and fades, but we do. We can, but are we? aware of it. If you go to the North Shore of New Zealand, which sounds like a good idea, right, in September in Mississippi, but if you visit the North Shore of New, in- of New Zealand, rather, you can go into these caves, and in these caves, you will experience light, just light all up, these photophorescent uh, little glowworms, and they just light up the sky. In New Zealand, when they say it's lit, apparently it's actually lit. And so you just see, you go to YouTube and look at National uh, Geographic, and on, uh, on that you will see this, just, it's just a beautiful spectacle of all the lights lighting up. And here's what I learned about the glowworm. The glowworm spends most of its t- life as larva, and then when it finally hatches, it flies around without a mouth. It is unable to feed itself. It lives its life in one single day. Could you imagine just one day to live, one day to float around and look for career opportunities to find a mate and raise a child? You just got a day. Scientists tell us that far from uh, New Zealand and the caves of the North Shore there, if you go to the Mediterranean world, that there's seagrass that science, they have dated that goes back some 100,000 years 100,000 years. So on this planet in which we all inhabit, the lifespan can go from one day a glow worm to 100,000 years, some Mediterranean sea glass. If you're a man, raise your hand. If you're a man, uh, you'll live a pro- probably to you're about 75. Women, raise your hand. If you're a woman, you'll live to about 80, okay? The longest living person in recorded history is a woman named Miss Jean. She lived in France all of her life. She lived to be 122. And she had one daughter and a grandson. True story. Miss Jean would visit her grandson in the nursing home. I, I don't want that. I just, I, don't, I mean, honestly, I don't want that. Life, it moves fast. So physical life moves fast. Second point, physical death is certain. 
Because we're preaching topically in this series, Tackling Your Hard Questions, we're not turning to one book. We're throwing a lot of biblical truth at you. But in Hebrews chapter 9, I don't have it up, but I'd love for you to write it down. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. Some of you know this. It says, for it is appointed for man once to die. Notice that word appointment. How many of you got appointments this week? Like you can think about your schedule, whatever profession you're in or college students, you've got to structure your day as well. But you have appointments. I'm a pastor. I've got a busy week. I'm thinking about the appointments that I'll have already this week. Tonight, we have a couple of appointments. We're going to a party at 530. Then we're double dating uh, with my wife. My wife and I are double dating. And we're going to see a comedian. And the Bible tells us, that it is appointed for us that we have an appointment to die. Makes me think about tonight. I hope the comedian is really funny. So here we have this appointment, this appointment to death, and it happens. It is a certainty. No matter how much sunscreen you lather on, if you're blessed by God to be a ginger like me, you better put on the SPF 100. But no matter how much sunscreen you put on, no how many vegetables you eat, no matter how many miles you run, it's coming for you. Death is coming for you. It's not picky, young and old, sick and healthy. Death is coming. Physical life moves fast. Physical death is certain. Third point, physical death is final. This is where we splinter. This is where people began to Think about different ideas and thoughts and philosophies and isms and schisms. But physical death, it is a final thing. Isaiah 25 and verse 8 talks about death being swallowed up. If you've ever heard a preacher preach or you've read from your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, the greatest um, work of the New Testament on the resurrection. And you'll, you notice that phrase that death is swallowed up. Uh, Paul borrowed from the prophet Isaiah. And that idea is that, hey, death, it is final. Hear me. There's no do-overs, no encores, no comebacks. If you're a golfer, there's no mulligans. It's a once and for all thing. Life, physical life moves fast. Physical death is certain. Physical death is final. And here's something fascinating I want us to begin to, to think about, to massage this into our hearts and minds and meditate on, is that at death, the soul and the body separate. At death, the soul and the body separate separate. Now, I'm not just a preacher, not just some orator trying to drop truth on you. I'm also a pastor. And this is the portion that I hope to shepherd some of you and give you a giant biblical hug, a truth hug, because some of you've lost loved ones. And I want you to begin to think about some of these things afresh and to maybe sharpen your focus. At death, the soul and the body separate. Let me utilize 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. These words For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. How many of you groan this morning? We groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. When you get my age, you make a noise every time you stand up or sit down. It just happens, okay? You just, you just groan. But look, I think the Bible's referring to not just the physical groaning, that, but also the spiritual groaning. In fact, in Romans 8, we preached this recently, the whole creation groans to be released from the bondage of decay. How's that for an environmentally friendly passage from the Bible? It's, it's, the groaning happens in creation. The groaning happens uh, in the creator. So let me give you a two-question pop quiz. We have some college students here today. You didn't come to church to be tested. You can do that tomorrow. But here are the two questions. First is fill in the blank. Our body is a... Yeah, somebody at the 930 said Wonderland, a real good-looking single guy. 
His name is Ryan Willis. If you know Ryan, give him a hard time. He was at our earlier service. But okay, John, that's, we're going to go with Jesus. But John Mayer says our body is a wonderland. Paul, who followed Jesus, said our body is a tent. Second question, which is more stable, a tent or a building? A building. Thank you. I think, I think y'all said that. This summer with a few friends, I went uh, hiking. We did the Grand Canyon in Father's Day week. Uh, my kids told me, hey, Dad, happy Father's Day. Get out of here. Go camping or something. So I went with a few friends, and it was the hottest, harshest time of the year to go into the depths of the Grand Canyon, and we survived. It was a, really a great time as we went in, five men. We hiked from the, the south rim to the north rim, and the goal there is once we got through, we, we would, as we emerged from this great Grand Canyon, that we would spend another night in our tent on the north rim. And when we got there, as we emerged, we were just beat up and exhausted. It was just, it was a Herculean task for a guy my age and fitness level, don't comment. And as we, as I emerged from this, the guys were like walking over to set up their tent to, to camp again. I thought, I, I know this is in the plans, but guys, this is way more grueling than we ever thought or imagined. You guys can throw your tent down one more night, but I'm going to the lodge right over the hill. And I hiked by myself to the lodge. I was eating a double cheeseburger and drinking a root beer with some fatty fries all by myself in a room that I had to splurge on that barely could afford, I could afford. But I didn't want another night in a tent. Now in a tent, every hiker, every camper knows, some of you are serious about this, but when you, when you're in a tent, you get that it's a temporary dwelling. You're going to set it up. You're going to break it down. You're going to set it up and break it down again. You would never set up a 60-inch plasma TV. You would never uh, seek to install indoor plumbing. Uh, I'm being absurd, of course, but the reason is it's a tent. Our body is a tent. Now, for balance and perspective, let me also teach biblically. The Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 6 that our body is a temple. I saw a guy at the gym that apparently believed his body is a temple as he flexed his muscles and sprayed oil on and looked himself uh, in the mirror. Our body is a temple. We ought to take care of it, but our body is a tent It's just a temporary dwelling that we won't have long, and it's not that stable. And so don't act like this tent is forever. It's not. Physical life moves fast. Physical death is certain. Physical death is final. At death, the soul separates from the body. Next point. Our soul goes to a specific conscience existence. And as pastor, uh, I've been in the ministry, you know, pretty much since graduating from college and going to seminary. But I look, this is pretty much all I know. And as a pastor of leading college ministry and then pastoring in, in a young church like Fondren, um, I have done 10 times more weddings than I've done funerals. And I've done 55, 56 funerals in my day. And at a funeral, there's a time in the green room uh, with a family And the most common question that I get, could you imagine what it is? In pastoring people and comforting them, the most common question is, where are they now? What are they doing? Can they see me? You ever been to a funeral and there's a casket and the casket is open and there's the body? Borrowing from C.S. Lewis, can I tell you, based on biblical truth, you, you are a soul, you have a body. And so the soul has gone on, but there is a body there. And have you ever seen a child walk up to a casket and look at a body and say, why are they sleeping? It's really among the most innocent questions that you'll ever see asked. Why? Why are they sleeping? 
And the scripture uses that same metaphor, but it is a metaphor. And look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For every, everyone who knows God, look, there's a difference between grieving and hopelessness. I want to say it again. There's a difference between grieving and hopelessness, and I see it in people's lives. I see it in people's lives. 1 Thessalonians 4. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. That's an expression, okay? Do you remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? You know it? Today you will be with me in paradise. you remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1? To be absent from the body is to, it's to be present with the Lord. And so this expression, don't let it fool you because there is this conscious state. Those who have died and gone on are with Jesus. They are in heaven. It's just not the eternal heaven. And so scripture teaches us that God is, is, there is a final resurrection when all things are going to be right. When preachers don't have to answer hard questions anymore. Everything is made right. And what we, where we walk in faith now, we will walk in sight and we will know and we will be like him. He will make everything right in a final resurrection. There's a new body, a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what the scripture teaches, the separation at death from soul to body. And then this soul goes to a place. It goes to this heaven. It's just not the eternal heaven. And so I want you to know about what the scripture teaches because we're really fuzzy about this because we can't learn too much from far side cartoons. We can laugh, but we can't learn much from them. So there are two big ideas that the scripture teaches about. Uh, and I don't want to be the pastor that looks past these. I'm going to put them in front of you uh, to bring a mystery to your life, to make you press in for clarity, to learn about these. And the, this first word is the word judgment. I quoted to you, didn't have it on the screen, but I quoted to you Hebrews chapter 9, for it is appointed to man once to die. And what is the next part of that? Do you know? After that, judgment. What kind of judgment? Now, here's what I want to say. Nobody likes to be judged. Some of us like to judge. Right? We, we may have some church ladies up in here that we need to cast out. But we like to judge. We don't want to be judged. And look, I'm, I'm like you. I've been hurt. I've been judged. I've been excluded. I've had people judge the book by the cover and haven't given me a chance and haven't delved deeper to see what's really happening and who I am and what's going on. And they've been quick to judge. And it hurts. And Scripture says time and time again that we just don't make good judges, but there is one who is good. And He's one that we can trust to make it right. If you uh, don't like to take notes, but you have a phone and you want to take a picture, here are the judgments that the Scripture talks about. This may be a good screenshot for you, literally a screenshot. And then I'll look at, uh, we'll look at these Scriptures um, really quick. There's the judgment of faith. There's something that Scripture calls as a great white throne judgment. That's where you don't want to be. And then there's the judgment of of works. So the judgment of faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you've heard this. It says this, for by grace you've been saved. Was that enough time? For by grace you've been saved through faith. And then this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. None of us are good enough. You've heard this. I believe I've taught it before, this study from Harvard School, a sociology school, that we, uh, we humans compare ourselves. We relentlessly compare ourselves with other people. And financially, we compare ourselves with people who are ahead of us. 
But morally, we compare ourselves with people we perceive as below us. So you may be sitting next to somebody, you just feel like you're better than them, okay? You, maybe you are, but right, it's, you, you judge them, they're, they're just not that good, or you, you judge the cast of the Jerry Springer show or something you see on the headlines, or you're just better than them. But all of us, all of us are on a sinking ship. All of us are fractured and broken by the rebellion of sin in our hearts, and we need grace. We need grace. No amount of your good works can save you. And so there's this judgment. It's the judgment of, hey, I've believed. I've been given an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel, and I've placed my faith in this good news of the gospel, and we pass that judgment. The second judgment, the great white throne judgment, Revelation 21. I'm going to throw it at you today. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. There is this great white judgment that we don't want to be a part of. And the third judgment the scripture talks about is a judgment of works. Romans chapter 4, verses 10 to 12. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. This kind of blows the minds of some of you. But I want to be clear on this. Again, when you bring instruction, it offers uh, us to use our imagination. When we get some clarity, it points us also to some mystery. But one pastor friend of mine puts it this way. I talked to him this week by phone about this message. He said, you know, the scriptures, you know, RG, it teaches that there can be heaven, but there can be heaven without the hardware. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In other words, some of us get in. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. There are There is a judgment seat of faith because none of your good works gain entry. But there is a judgment of works. Again, barring to C.S. Lewis, he said that what we weave in time, we wear in eternity. What are you weaving in time? Scripture says that you'll be judged by your works. Do you have a sense of accountability to, your, to God? Do you have a sense that one day you will answer for what you've done and what you haven't done? For areas that you submitted to Jesus and areas that you haven't? For your time and your checkbook? for your calendar, for how you deal with conflict. All these things will be brought under a judgment of works for every believer in Jesus. And we see an eternity that Scripture talks about that will have crowns. There are several crowns that are mentioned. We'll put this up. This could be a good picture uh, as well for note takers, for people that want to take this with them. There's an incorruptible crown, 1 Corinthians 9, a crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, 8, a crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, a crown of life, James 1, 12, and then, uh, well, yeah, there you go. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
There is a crown that's incorruptible, 1 Corinthians 9. There's a crown of righteousness. Paul at the end of it all, for 2 Timothy 4, 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have longed for his appearing, a crown of righteousness. And then the scripture talks about 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 2, 9. This talks about the people in our lives. For, uh, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Is it not you? What lives have you touched? What ministry have you offered? When you see Emily Harden and that mom and that young lady talking about Red Door, does that excite you? Does it excite you to give, to be a part of a generous community called Fondren Church? Does it cause you to want to sign up or donate a com- computer? If not that, what? What lives have you touched? Scripture is clear that we ought to envision an eternity, a time of arrival, and there will be crowns related to the lives that we've impacted. Uh, finally, James 1, 2, 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is the one who's suffering. This is the one who's going through something they never signed up for, but they stay faithful. Who needs to hear this this morning? Who needs to hear it? That staying on course, that enduring what is difficult, will have crowns. Now there's a Greek word that's used, it means to be elevated, to be exalted. It's this word, bima, looks an awful lot like bama. But bima just means to be high and lifted up. And in this idea, it's the Olympic Games, the Greek-Roman world, it's the idea of awards or medals being given, but the Bible doesn't say medals. It uses the word crown. Now, why crown? You see all the crowns? Why, why crown? I mean, I can go to Burger King and, and get a crown. Why does Scripture talk about a, a crown? Years ago, I emceed the Rankin County Junior Miss pageant. And actually, you're not supposed to call it a pageant. They told me that a hundred times that night. It's a program, not a pageant. And at the end, when it was time to uh, crown the winner of, Miss, of Rankin County Junior Miss, the, the prior winner was not there. This was years ago. And so I was the one who put the crown on her head. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what to say. I put the crown on. I think I stumbled and said, good luck out there or something. And apparently it worked. Apparently my words were very fitting because she went on to win in Meridian. She won the state Miss Junior Miss. She won America's Junior Miss. She married Brody Kroll, a quarterback of Alabama. And just because I crowned her and said said good luck out there. But here's the idea of a crowning. A crowning is this. You, you probably never crowned anybody. I have, okay. I'm just, I'm just above y'all. I'm Bima up here. But if you've ever crowned anybody, here it is. You put something on somebody's head and say something to them. And that's the picture. That's the picture that our Savior wants us to live with. That one day He places a crown on us and He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so physical life moves fast. Physical death is certain. Physical death is final. At death, the soul, the real you, separates from your body, and that soul goes into a very real existence. It's not the final heaven that's talked about over and over again in the Scripture, but it's heaven. There will be a final resurrection with a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, Scripture says. So if you're a country boy or girl, it's going to be a little challenge for you because Jesus is building a city for us. Maybe there'll be a country retreat out there for us, for some of us. But it's a city where God is being a builder. And in this 
Scripture talks about the just judge who will do what is right because he does it every single time. But he wants us to live with this sense that what we do matters. And so I want to close with a quote from from N.T. Wright, one of my favorite writers. Shannon is going to come up because he's going to lead us in a moment in a closing song. One of the things I appreciate about Shannon, we were in a meeting on Monday talking about this day, and uh, my boy is just a reader. He's not just a guitar picker and a singer, but he's a reader, and he reads to his kids. He's got four of them. And he reads to his kids, and he reads science, and he reads theology. And uh, he mentioned N.T. Wright, and I, I... Joke with him earlier this morning before the 9.30 that I'm going to close the service with an N.T. Wright quote from Surprised by Hope. He starts with this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, your work is not in vain. He says, nothing you do is in vain because resurrection is coming. Therefore, stand firm. Not as a poem says, don't rage, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Not fill out your bucket list with little experiences for your own human heart. Give yourself to God fully. Trust God, love God, serve God. Do your work with God and for God. Live with God because God is still in the business of saving people from sin and death. So don't give up when you have trouble, when you're sick and unemployed, when you're broke, when you're scared, if you're alone, if you're afraid, if you're divorced, if you failed. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. You're not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You see, strange though it may seem, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love... Gratitude and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every deed that spreads the gospel, every prayer prayed, gift given, every holy thought, every gracious word, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. You can become through Jesus not just a consumer of hope, but a beacon of hope a signpost of hope, a vessel of hope. And one day, we today who sit here will be together again with those we have loved and lost who also serve and follow this God in His redeemed and resurrected world. The great story which never ends, in which every chapter is better than the one that went before. That if you believe and trust and follow, Jesus is what happens to you when you die. That's good news and ought to be reason to celebrate. Can I get an amen from anybody today? Would you stand? I heard an amen from the balcony, even the balcony. This prayer altar is open today and we are here down front. Our team is going to come. Let's all sing. We'll be out of here in just a few minutes. Let's all sing of worship today. I will rise. You come and be prayed for today or pray at this altar. Father, thank you for victory. That no one has won. It's a victory that's been given to us. And Lord, likely as I do the math in my own life and know that probably more days are behind me than in front of me in my earthly tent. Lord, as as I follow you, move away more and more from vainglory and my own petty stuff. 
and more into kingdom living and thinking and coaching of a new, a younger generation in kingdom living. Lord, so much of this world should pale. And every day, I look into the faces of people that are longing for meaning. And you give that. You give that because we're invited to be a part of your good kingdom. Lord, help us as a church orient our schedules, our pocketbooks, our parenting, the way we live and move and have our being. Let us orient ourselves to following after you, learning from you. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. No mind has conceived what you have for us. In Jesus.